Well, it was during Victorian times, and since Queen Victoria had a long reign, there were many different architectural styles in there, and so it isn't really just one. And it also depended on the prosperity of those building. Originally, the main street was all wooden structures, and then in 1876, there was a big fire, and everything on both sides of the main street, from Godrich Street down to John Street, so that first block, gone. I'm Mandy Sinclair, and on season two of Postcards from Huron County, I'll be delving into some of the industries that developed when settlers arrived in Huron County on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Neutral Peoples in an area that was subject to the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Agreement. As a fan of architecture and old buildings, and armed with an imagination that allows me to envision the heyday of heritage buildings, I admire the architectural gems that dot the main drags of Huron County's small towns. So having wandered along the main street of Seaforth, an area that earned its Heritage Conservation District designation in 1984, I was keen to know more about how the main street developed. What activity was here? What happened at the Opera House? Who were the merchants? And I found just the person to chat with. Kathy Elliott. I moved here in 81 from Toronto and uh, never looked back. I feel it's important to know where we've come from, to know where we're going, and certainly in, in rural Ontario, the stories of the people are every bit as interesting, so I, I enjoy it. I, I love this town of Seaforth where I live, and I like that you can know people, have a chat, care about each other. Yeah, it's just a love, it's got a good vibe for me anyway. Let's dive in. So we're going to chat about architecture in Seaforth. And so let's go way back to the start of before Seaforth even started. The nearby communities of Harper Hay and Eggmanville were developed prior to the town of Seaforth. Mm-hmm. How did the town of Seaforth eventually come to exist, given it was previously deemed unsuitable due to its location on Lake Swampy Land? Right. Well, um, with the Huron Tract, so that was, in essence, what's Highway 8 now. So that coming up, and then with Colonel Von Egmont. Um, having sending people up in Tiger Dunlop. So you had all of these folks being sent up to sort of settle and lay this out. That's uh, put stuff at, at the corner. So what would be the corner of Highway 8 and uh, Main Street right now. And from there, it just, um, you know, you have your little log cabin there and then another one comes. It really started, uh, Christopher Sparling bought up some land and then like any wise businessman he uh he made arrangements for the uh the railway to have a right of way through his land and then he sold that land to uh three lawyers who were looking at developing and they were the ones who actually then got the buffalo brantford and godrich railway to come through and they wanted as well to have a train station which the railway would like, but they weren't willing to pay, so the town paid to put up the train station. And of course, once you've got a railway through, um, people come and go, business comes and goes, and that's really the kickstart of Seaforth. Amazing. The main street in Seaforth, I mean, a main street as beautiful as what we see today, clearly reflects Seaforth's prosperity in the the late 19th century. What were some of the industries operating in town and the surrounding area when the main street was developed between 1868 and 1878? Well, originally, with as I mentioned, with the railway, so wheat, that, well, mm-hmm. that was huge. 
in uh, in coming there and then of course you get the spin-offs you got the flour mills and the storehouses that were needed so that started around the railway and then it just went from there then you need all of those other supporting businesses so as more people come in they need furniture they need houses mm -hmm. uh salt was also found by the railway tracks there was a yeah quite a, a busy little salt industry going on there for a while and um yeah it just kind of grew from there over to uh to the huron tract to highway 8. and is the salt was it completely um extracted or does that yeah. still exist no no it was it was just a finite amount and, and it did its thing back then and of course back then without refrigeration and whatnot salt was prime in in preserving your meat and and other things so uh Mm -hmm. Nope, Godrich is the big salt place it now. It is, yeah. But where in Seaforth was the salt found? <laughs> By the railway tracks, south okay. of the railway tracks. Okay. Yep. And does the train station in Seaforth still exist? No, it does not. I was going to say I don't recall no. seeing it. What no. happened to that? Well, passenger trains stopped going mm -hmm. through there. There's there's a sign now that says Seaforth as mm -hmm. the uh, the freight trains go through, but. Um, I'm not aware that it was, you know, like some train stations mm -hmm. was moved somewhere else to it would have been a wooden structure. So it probably just kind of fell into rack and ruin, okay. I imagine. Yeah. yeah, not like the train station we're sitting in now recording. No, no. <laughs> so on page 26 of the Seaforth Heritage Conservation District Plan prepared by Hill and Borgel architects and planners, Seaforth's main street is declared one of the finest 19th century streetscapes in Ontario. What are the defining characteristics of Ontario main streets from this era? Well, it was during Victorian times, and since Queen Victoria had a long reign, there were many different architectural styles in there. And so it isn't really just one. And it also depended on the prosperity of those building. Originally, the main street was all wooden structures. And then in 1876, there was a big fire and everything on both sides of the main street from Godrich Street down to John Street. So that first block gone. A little bit controversial. It was supposed to have started in Mrs. Griffith's candy shop. And she was a bit of a nefarious character and funnily enough, had very good insurance on her building. So... <laughs> People kind of looked at her suspiciously, but it just meant then that what was built new was was brick. It has lasted, obviously, um, mm -hmm. you know, for 160 years or so. And so um, sometimes fire isn't a bad thing. What architectural styles are common on Seaforth's main drag and who were the architects behind the buildings? The blocks are named for the people who paid to have them built, who mm -hmm. owned them. And you can tell by looking at them that it's a block because you'll see the windows all on the second floor all have exact, they're all exactly the mm -hmm. same. And then, or the brick might change color from a yellow to a red. So you can stand there and go, oh yeah, that's where that one ends and a new one begins. But most of them don't have etched in stone anything over them that, that it's such and such a like cardinal block you would not know it doesn't on it say anywhere mm -hmm. the cardinal block mm -hmm. yeah and who were the cardinals alexander cardinal came from scotland he had many different businesses and so he he built that with the opera hall up upstairs mm -hmm. the music hall and then he had five businesses down on the main street do you know what the businesses were? The Alexander Cardinal groceries. There was clothing stores there, insurance. Yeah, l largely uh, dry goods and bakery. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was in the Cardinal block? Yeah. So those were the five stores that are underneath the entire Cardinal Hall that's upstairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, the upstairs, it was used for um, visiting minstrel shows, 
there's a banquet hall up there. Any large formal functions, they would have like, you know, the the mayor's New Year's levy, thing, mm-hmm. things of that nature. And then into the early 1900s, you know, the high school would have their production there. And I haven't been in for a few years. It's been sold twice since um, the Cardinal family sold it. But there was the original hand-painted curtain hanging there. At one time, um, the University of Waterloo, I believe, they wanted to t- take it and you know, study it and and preserve it and stuff, but it was just in such a delicate condition that taking it down would have um, compromised its stability, so. And just going back to like main streets of that era, what were some of the other defining characteristics of the Ontario main streets built during the 1800s? Because the Brussels main street looks a lot like Seaforth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and, and Clinton, and mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're all very similar, so you would have the uh, often the business was on the main street level Mm -hmm. and the family would often live upstairs and so you know you were very very close to your place of business and you lived together you worked together you played together everybody Mm -hmm. knew everybody and there was that real camaraderie and and helping of each other and as well it was a place for the folks out on the farm to come in you know often things were open late on a Saturday night and everybody would come in and they would buy their groceries that's why you had your bath on Saturday night and came in and you might go to the movies um there's a story of a lady in town who bought a brand new hat most Saturday nights and wore it to church the next day but didn't take the price tag off so she got to return it oh no way (laughs) (laughs) you know lots of lots of funny little stories like that but it it Mm -hmm. was it was um People living and working together. Yeah. And of course, everything then was in within walking distance because mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to uh, have your, your horse and buggy. Absolutely. And of course, out the back would be the outhouses because I think it was even 1957. I've heard even early 1960s, some places in Seaforth still didn't have indoor plumbing. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you speak of the cinema, I love the cinema, old cinemas. And here in mm-hmm. County, we only have one, which is the Park Theatre on the Square in Godridge. Where was the cinema in Seaforth? It's where uh, Brian Whiteman, accountant, is now. Okay. Yes. And if you come in the, from the back alley, yeah, it's got the little hallways with the, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's where it was. You can tell it was that in it there. was once a cinema. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it's true, like even in Clinton, the what's now Excalibur Insurance was mm-hmm. the cinema and then you mentioned the hat shop was somebody actually like was there a milner on the main street well stewart stewart brothers had been there for years and years and years and that they were a big clothier and also um i believe the phone exchange was located in there as well oh yes so Mm -hmm. you know um they often did multi-purpose businesses like box furniture was also furniture but it was also the undertaker and then in later years the ambulance service out of there as well so you had different types often complementary types of businesses you know with furniture and then mm-hmm. if you were building coffins you that's wood mm-hmm. and if you were going to get the person who was deceased you know you have your the ambulance yep. and, and that sort of thing that so um yeah there was clothing stores and everything that that people would need self-sustaining and, and remembering that you know people didn't have that many changes of clothing back <laughs> then I mean, you had your good clothes and you had your work clothes and mm-hmm. that was about it yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The main street that they've replicated in the Heron County Museum is mm-hmm. one of my favorite spots just to wander and see all the old storefronts yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. 
Initiated by the architects and planners Nick Hill and Chris Borgel, the Main Street also received the Heritage Conservation District designation in 1984. I'm just wondering, what are the requirements of this designation to maintain it and receive it? Well, it obviously has to be architecturally significant, um, so it can't have been changed or altered uh, terribly. Then the town puts a bylaw into effect that will protect what is already there. And so, for example, in the designated heritage area, there's a, a the sign bylaw. We have sign bylaw for all different kinds of signs, but it's very specific within that area. So you want things that signs that will be sympathetic to the heritage look of the building. So you don't want interior lit box signs. If it was already there prior to the bylaw passing, then it's grandfathered. Mm -hmm. But if someone wants to put up a new sign, um, then, I mean, if they just want to change the plastic on the front, they can do that. But if they wanted to put a brand new interior lit illuminated sign, that, that would not be permitted. There's also a, a heritage committee. And the purpose of the heritage committee then is when people need to do maintenance or restoration to their heritage property, they can come and, and use them as a, as a sounding board, as, as a source of information and research because modern materials and modern techniques are not often sympathetic to the older buildings. If uh, the old bricks needed to expand and contract and if you replace the lime-rich mortar with cement, they don't have that flexibility and they will start to crack and, and fall apart. So um, I sit on the Heritage Committee as well and so we are a resource and we love it when someone comes and says, this is the challenge I'm facing, what do I do? Then, then we can just work with them. It's, it's frustrating when people come and say, uh, my windows are failing so the new vinyl clad aluminum ones are going in next week. Oh, hold on, you know, mm -hmm. um, those seals fail. If you've got a good set of original windows and storms over top, you're, you're golden. But, um, you know, when you don't know and you hire someone, you're a little bit at their mercy. So we try to, uh, to let people know. And are there a lot of building heritage conservation professionals, trades in the area, or do they come? where do they come from for that? It's a dying breed very mm -hmm. much. So um, we were very fortunate through my good friend, the late Jan Hawley, to have met Dr. Christopher Cooper, who is um, renowned with heritage restoration. And he has a guild where he trains people to, to re, replay, repair old windows and masonry. Mm -hmm. And I've just spent a couple of weeks at the post office replacing mortar with lime-rich mortar. And it, yeah, fascinating stuff. But he's training and educating people to do that because mm -hmm. it is a dying breed. And if you don't have someone who knows what they're doing in an attempt to fix something, you might, in fact... Yeah. make it worse absolutely so yeah and so what is considered the heritage conservation district in c4 so it starts at godrich street and it goes right down main street south so it's godrich street and goes down to john street and then market street and then almost to the railway tracks okay yeah that's a designated heritage district there are individually um, designated buildings that aren't in that area but they're designated heritage as well oh, what are those like the anglican church mm -hmm. it is and some private homes uh, i know the pletch home on sparling street is and if, if it was if it's architecturally significant then people would have been approached 
to have it designated, and it was up to them if they said yay or nay. The Cardinal Opera Hall on Seaforth's Main Street is built in Second Empire architectural style, and its defining mansard roof stands out on the main street. Ads placed in the Huron Expositor promoted vaudeville shows, comedies, and of course, opera performances. Can you tell listeners a bit about this building and other buildings of note on the main street? Well, it was sort of the entertainment hub of Seaforth. The challenge now is with changing building codes, of course, often they can't be used the way they were before. So a lot of times people have no idea what's up there. They stand and look and go, what was inside? And mm-hmm. and so that that's when it still had a balcony to overlook and oh, wow. overlook the, um, the seating area and to see the stage. And it, it was originally had the... Uh, the gas lighting and they produced the gas for that on site. Yeah, it, it was really quite something. I was at Sills Home Hardware. It's probably the most intact building because it still has the beautiful big display windows. Yes. Single pane and the woodwork and the door that's uh, recessed. And when you go inside, the, the tin ceiling is still there and they still have the, uh, the ladder that goes across to climb up and so that, to me, is the most intact externally and internally of, of what it was like before. But, I mean, two that you would have no way of knowing of, the Masonic Lodge and then the Odd Fellows, because those were um, very closed groups. Yes. I had the privilege of, of going in, and they're just fascinating. And because the paintings there have been done on the wall, so, you know, you can't really save them unless the building stays the way it is. And... Actually, I was just there today. The Odd Fellows, they're, I think they're changing it into an apartment upstairs. So those paintings will all be covered over and lost. So just the way that they did it mm-hmm. back then, you know, that was the ornamentation for that particular group of, uh, of folks. And but, when was the Odd Fellows building built? Oh, it would have been roughly the same time. And it's got beautiful windows up top. It's not the same as it was. It's now it's an ideal supply. But there used to be um, like a staircase that went from the main fo- up. That's now gone. There was a fireplace. There's all kinds of things that were, were there before that um, as the use of the building has changed, mm-hmm. um, they've altered. Do you know who the things. artists were who painted directly on the walls for the Odd No, it, I, I don't know. I haven't been up in the Odd Fellows Hall. And the other one, as I said, like they are up on a high ceiling. And mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if they were. I, I imagine because it is a fraternal organization that there are probably pretty standard scenes and whatnot that were um, intrinsic to their to their beliefs and functions. So mm-hmm. it probably had something to do with that. But I don't I don't know who would have painted them. I sure know it wouldn't have been me. (laughs) (laughs) And what about the Masonic Lodge? Because you're right, those are often very closed buildings that, unless you're a member, you... Yeah, the last time I was up there, and it's still a functioning, the Odd Fellows... uh, The Odd Fellows or the Masonic? The Odd Fellows closed out. um, The Masonic, that order's still there. It's the Britannia Lodge, and uh, everything is still upstairs. If you look at the second floor... it's like it's been painted over the windows and it's kind of cracked from the sun and you look up and think oh what's going on there but then when you're inside you realize you have to get in by giving sort of the password or being Mm -hmm. known that you are allowed in but there's no natural illumination in there yeah yeah (laughs) Hmm. and where is the masonic lodge in seaforth is it on the main street 
Yes, it is. It, it's on the west side. And so it would be then part of the, like a designated building. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. What about, um, one of the buildings I love is the commercial hotel. It's now been turned into mm-hmm. apartments, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes, Is right. that part of the designated area? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay. And before it burned down, the Queen's Hotel up on the corner would have been as well. It used to be a hotel, the big yellow building at the corner of the, at the lights there, which is now apartments, but that was one of the original hotels in Seaforth, but now it's been turned into apartments for many, many years. And what about the commercial hotel? When was that building built and do you have any stories that you can share? It was built in 1895. There was, before I moved to town, there was a beautiful big staircase in there that isn't there anymore. Um, A friend of mine, Pete Claver, owns that and uh, has made it into the apartments. He's tried to keep the, if you look, the original wooden doors are there and he has um, restored those. There used to be a barber shop on the main the the part that's closest to the uh the town hall so you know you can you can look at it and go oh yeah you know people were traveling by horse and carriage and they needed a place to stay and you needed a haircut and you needed whatever i know um you know upstairs on the second and third floors there would be all of those rooms and there would be a bathroom in the hall at the last time that i saw it before it was completely gutted and done over i mean in the old days there would have been no plumbing in there mm-hmm. and it would have been very interesting but uh, yeah it's uh, it's it's beautiful to see it repurposed and yet when you stand and look at it at the outside very little has changed you know if you have a good imagination you can imagine what it was like inside mm-hmm. in in the good old days yeah absolutely the majority of the buildings in the downtown core are largely located in close proximity to one another Uh and the exception though is the post office the bank and the town hall why is that well remember I mentioned people built in blocks Mm -hmm. so that would have been the end of a block and then the CIBC would have been a standalone because that would have been more of a corporate type of thing same thing with Canada Post and uh And that TD Bank is not the original TD Bank, but it was in that spot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're separate entities. All the others, of course, they have probably triple thick brick firewalls in between them, which prevents fire from spreading. Mm -hmm. Um, I did at one time, my husband and I owned a building on there. There had been a fire and then right beside box furniture. So there was an open lot. So we bought that and, and built a building for our purposes for our Mm -hmm. business and we used a heritage architect and got approval so that it blended in with the existing because the last thing you want is something that does not it doesn't fit the yeah you want to look down the street and get the whole look everything Mm -hmm. fitting in absolutely we've referenced the late jane holly who was the economic development officer for Mm -hmm here on East. Mm-hmm. Um, and she developed a wonderful self-guided architectural tour, not only of Seaforth's downtown, but um, she included bil- buildings town-wide. One of my favorite buildings is the Roundhouse on the corner of Duke and Will- East William Street and the Anglican Church built in Carpenter's Gothic style, which listeners who may not know, Carpenter Gothic style is a take on the European Gothic style that used stone, but in Canada, they used wood. What are some other buildings of note or perhaps some of your favorite in town? Hmm. Well, I, I guess the main three on Main Street, which is Town Hall, the Post Office, and Cardinal Hall. To me, it's like the beautiful smile when somebody smiles, you know, and if one of those 
is in disrepair or missing it would be like having that tooth missing Mm -hmm. they're just they're lovely they're tall they all have a tower on them two of them have clocks in them which is is lovely to me that just sort of anchors that whole main street the other buildings you really need to stand there and look at them and, and notice all their own little unique touches, bits of architecture. Yeah, every, everyone, when you look down the street, you get a whole expansive look, but every single one is a little bit unique in the fancy brickwork, the color of the brick, the style of the window, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, some of them still do have the original, and even though they might not be in the best condition, to me, it's a thing of beauty because... They're so easily restored, and we do c- encourage people if they are have their hearts set on replacing them with modern ones, take out the old ones, put them in your basement, because someday somebody will come along and don't alter the opening, and, and we'll put them back mm-hmm. in, and, and it'll be great. Yeah, Wonderful. You mentioned that you're part of the trust that owns the post office, mm-hmm. and that the building is currently undergoing restoration works. Can you tell us a little bit more about the works? So the building was built in 1913, and I believe the federal government sold it off in 91. They had, I guess, been getting out of the, the post office business and selling off some of their assets. So it was, it was sold and bought privately, and then the trust bought it in early 2000 when the trust was formed. As we talked about earlier, it's very difficult to find a craftsman to do the necessary repairs. So often what people do if something is falling into rack and ruin, they can't find someone to do it. They just kind of close the door and mm-hmm. forget about it for a while. Um, but like most things, even with your own home today, regular maintenance is the key. And so the roof on it was still the original roof. It had been painted many, many times, but we were getting a lot of moisture inside the building, which was causing paint to flake and, and other issues so we had it replaced. It was literally the paint was what was holding it together wow. up there. So um, yeah, it was more than time. That was great. And then we um, are having some major brick and mortar repair done. It was interesting that um, there was water infiltrating. And when Dr. Christopher Cooper that I made earlier mention of did research, he looked at the original plans because you know, the federal government used basic plans for all of the, the post offices they built. They just, most of them had a tower. It could be offset or center like ours. There's supposed to be copper flashing put in, and it was not ever put in the building, and that's what allowed the water to infiltrate. So, you know, sometimes I guess people didn't read the plans properly and mm-hmm. do that. So we are in the process of doing that now, and next year we'll hopefully getting a new ramp because ours is kind of falling into rack and ruin. And then when when the moisture meter indicates that we are dry enough inside and we, we know the building has started to dry out because the inside, the paint is it's peeling away in sheets. So it's not really peeling away, but as the plaster underneath it is drying, it is shrinking, which is good. Most people would be going, oh my heavens, you know, the paint's falling off my wall. No, it's good. The building is drying out and that's what you need because there's no point in doing interior painting and repair until it is dry. So um, yeah, it's it's a major expense, but it has to be done and, um, and we're just so blessed that we do have people. Christopher Mayberry is the mason that is doing the work and he does a lot. He's also working on the London Life Building in London. So he's very well known in that. 
and another fellow who is a member of the Guild of Craftsmen, Tom Cross. He is doing the uh, restoration of the clock tower. On the post office? On the post office, yes. So um, again, somebody thinking they were doing the right thing uh, sealed it up with caulking and other things, which meant any condensation inside just stayed inside and rotted. So there was rot and things were going wrong. So we are, again, so lucky to have Tom Cross there to um, take, he takes it apart. He's, and you look up now on the one face, there's just a piece of white plastic up there. He's taken the face off and he's cleaning everything up, repainting it, that glass, which it is all glass, the back of it, like a milk glass, some mm-hmm. of it has been broken. And so he has fitting it back together like a puzzle. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing. Wow. The thing, I mean, it won't look that different on the outside. It'll be more brilliant um, because it'll be painted, mm-hmm. but on the inside to just to know all the workings and are fine and, and they're going to last for easily another hundred years so you mentioned that there's two clock towers where's the second one i can't think of cardinal hall cardinal hall and yeah. is it still there yeah oh yeah okay it, it's it's a wooden back like ours on the post office it's illuminated from the mm-hmm. inside at night there theirs is not and i think theirs runs about five minutes faster than ours <laughs> <laughs> So there's a slight So it depends if you're running late or not, which Mm -hmm. clock you want to (laughs) reference. Absolutely. There's another building just past the train station that looks like it was an old factory. And it's still there. If you're going over the train tracks, it's heading past the grocery store, past the Cardinal Mm -hmm. Library. Oh, back off the main Mm -hmm. street. What was that? That was started in 1870. And it was the Coleman Foundry and Machine Shop started by Robert Bell. And that was in answer to what they needed in terms of building materials, um, machinery, because if you look at the date in 1870, then we, um, you know, we've got the industry coming to town and they needed that. Who were some of the other, you mentioned um, the Sparlings, but who were some of the other families who came to Seaforth as the town was being developed and what industries did they launch? Usually in small towns, you will find the names of streets are named after the founding. So there is a Sparling Street. Mm -hmm. D.D. Wilson was the egg king. (laughs) He had a big egg business, and um, his original home was over um, what is Wilson Street, named for D.D. Wilson. So there, it, it just depended. Um, the Phillips family had a, a fruit and vegetable business on Main Street for many years, and um, there's nothing named after that. Lately, more well-known local people um they have taken to changing the names like we have a lloyd eisler named after the skater um mm-hmm. we have a sill street because sills is for multi-generation in town but yeah most of them where i live in eggmanville carnahan street so the carnahan family um mm-hmm. if you look around that was a way that a lot of small towns named it because if you were the prominent citizen living on that street mm-hmm. that street was named for you mm-hmm the Carnegie Library, is that part of the um, mm-hmm. the Heritage Block? Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about the Carnegie Libraries? Because we have a few in Heron County, including the one in Clinton, Godridge, and Brussels. Yep. And then obviously the Seaforth is the Carnegie Public Library. Can you yep. tell us a little bit about how that came to be, why Carnegie, and why the building is so beautiful? Well, it was built in the same year as the post office, so 1913. And if you look at it, you can see structurally similarities to it as well. And actually, that was um, Andrew Carnegie, his mm-hmm. foundation, and that's where the money came from for 
these libraries, which is why you know, every town has a Carnegie Library, <laughs> and you think, what the heck? Did... And, but that's why it was the source of the funding, and it was the, um, the belief of the importance of that. So the libraries in the province of Ontario evolved in the 1850s from the Mechanics Institute libraries, where you had to be a member. Mm-hmm. And the thought was, why are we limiting this to just people who have membership? Everybody can benefit from this. And that's where the whole philanthropic attitude of Andrew Carnegie came through to spend the money and, and get these built mm-hmm. and have the, the books there. And what style is the Carnegie Library in Seaforth built in? John Finlayson was the architect slash builder. He waived his fee so that the town was able to purchase the lot. So they started in 1912 to build it. And I think back when in that time too, anything that was more of an institutional building, they all had a certain look to it. And, and again, to fit in, if you, if you look at any of the federal buildings, they tend to have that look because they all had, they would have all had sort of a few sets of plans, but depending on the lot size and mm-hmm. shape, they used whatever variation of that plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But inside the Carnegie Library, too, like you, they still have the beautiful old um, suspended lights up there and the woodwork. And it's, yeah, it's just a, I don't, for me, it's a magical feeling when yeah. you, you go in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I live in Goderidge, and yep. it, just going to the Goderidge Library is yep. just so. Even if you just want to decompress, exactly. You just go in, and it can all be gone to mustard outside, but in there, there's just a calm and a quiet and a. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're very blessed with our libraries in Huron County. Absolutely, we are. Absolutely. Throughout Huron County, we do have a lot of heritage homes and, you know, a lot of older residences as well. What tips would you have for any homeowners or listeners who may need to do restoration works? What are some of the top things that you see, challenges that they might have that you might have some tips for? It would be no different than any homeowner is do your annual inspection and do your maintenance. Mm-hmm. Fix things when they're small before they become big. Water is a big enemy. Make sure everything is sloping away from your building. Make sure your eaves troughs are working. They aren't full of holes, that type of thing. Also, um, if you look at in the old pictures of the old homes, their plantings were not right up against the building. They wanted the foundation to, to be able to breathe. Make sure you maintain it and make sure that when you do need repairs, whatever, mm-hmm. get somebody qualified. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm singing from the rooftop his praises, but yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Dr. Christopher Cooper's, his, his guild, um, it's, it's very affordable. I've, I've taken some courses on window restoration with him and just did a thing on, on the, uh, the mortar. And it's a, a lot of it the homeowner can do themselves. Like window restoration, you, you can do that. You know, if a piece is broken off before it gets too big, you can do it yourself or there are people around. I know the property manager for the Seaforth post office, she's taken his complete course because she has to do the work on the post office too. So, oh, yeah. Wow. So those are the kinds of things, but you need to hire and and you're real it's very difficult because you're hiring someone because you don't know mm-hmm. and you trust that they will know and hopefully they do but i've seen many cases where good intentions but it created mm-hmm. more damage than not so just use the right people the right materials but if you do your regular inspection and maintenance you can 
avoid a lot of very expensive uh, pitfalls mm-hmm. for sure. Wow. Any other memories from the Seaforth Main Street that you'd like to share? Oh, just it's it was lovely when most of those buildings were owned by the people who still lived in town. Um, we had a lot of fun doing things, as I said, when we did doors open and other things. I got to be Mrs. Cardinal and dress up and mm-hmm. take people on tours and, and bring it to life. I remember when I was teaching grade eight and one of the projects for my students was they had to pick a building in town and do research and make a little pamphlet on it. And when I took them up to Cardinal Hall, you know, the coolest kids who couldn't give a flip about anything were blown away. We never knew standing on the street that all this was up here. Mm-hmm. It's just, there are so many hidden gems. And unfortunately, as they're being sold and bought by people from away, and like for investment and whatnot, you lose that personal contact and then they're just kind of locked up and you don't get to d- to do that anymore. But just like in the library when you walk in you could feel the people from the past you can imagine what life was like and it's just I just find it very magical yeah what are some of the other hidden gems that you like on the main street that we might not know about well upstairs at Sills um the generations have gathered all it's like a museum up there wonderful wonderful stuff um it's not open to the public it's but it's all of their treasures over the years a history of everything because they used to do everything with hardware and plumbing and electrical Mm -hmm. and that that in itself is wonderful at the town hall the third floor you have to really be careful because the floor is rotted and you might fall through but (laughs) there's a beautiful stage up there there was a grand piano up there where there were badminton courts up there and the lockers were still there that's what it was originally used for wow yes just like who would have ever thought no just it, yeah it's just amazing when you see the things that and I mean that, that's a good thing about when people don't mess with it they just close the door and walk away as mm-hmm. long as it doesn't start to rot but yeah you open it and you go oh my gosh and there are still people in town who remember going to their scout meetings up there and playing badminton up there and it's just um yeah it's it's wonderful Wow. Okay. So the town hall, yeah. Sills and the uh-huh. Cardinal Opera Hall are all places that we would, one might want to try to get access if, to. If you could. And, <laughs> and, you know, if the, um, if the Masonic Lodge has a, and they, they do from time to time have an open day where they will tour and explain the philosophy of their organization and, and take you through. It's, it's very worthwhile as well. Is the Masonic Lodge just one floor? No, it's actually the the lodge is on the second floor. Okay. And that's a challenge too, because a lot of their members are older and climbing up those stairs is... Mm -hmm. uh, So it's not accessible at the moment. And that's the thing. Most of these are not like, they're just not accessible. And as well, when we talk about fire code, about having Mm -hmm. more than one exit, um, no, they don't. And so that's why it's it's really difficult to keep them up and even use them with the same intent that mm-hmm. for which they were built. Yeah. I'm just really curious, like this Cardno Hall. I mean, I need to figure out how to get access to that because is the balcony seating still intact? No, the seating was never bolted on. So it was, and I don't know if they're still there. They were all sold off, but they were long benches. Oh, wow. So that they could be placed in any configuration up top mm-hmm. or down below. And 
Ken Cardinal, who sadly is no longer with us, but um, that would have been his grandfather who built it. He, he remembers as a child being up there in the balcony and kneeling down and looking through the, the rails and watching what was going on. And it must have been cold in the winter because it was only some pot-bellied stoves that were <laughs> heating it. But he mm-hmm. remembers too, um, you know, the ladies bringing the lunch and the, the dinner and it, would, it was in the banquet hall off the side. And as I said, it has been bought and is in the per- process of being repurposed. So I, I don't even know what state it's in up there in terms of authenticity mm-hmm. as it used to be. But I'm just so blessed that I had the opportunity to, to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, very generous of the Cardinal family they mm-hmm. were to let people yeah, come absolutely. and share in their history. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for joining me in studio today and sharing your love of the Seaforth downtown and your memories of being there and taking us on a little bit of like a time travel back to those days when it might have been developed. And it still is yeah. a thriving main street. It still is, and things come and go, but mm-hmm. I think it will it will always be. And when doors open comes again, I'm and we are on that, then I would really encourage people to do that because, you know, it, it might be here today, but next year it might not be here. And in the meantime, I will link in the show notes to the um, architectural tour, that the self-guided walking tour that people are welcome to, to download and just kind of have a wander around town by themselves. Yeah, we did. Um, we got a Trillium grant a number of years ago, and Jan and I did um, big poster boards, and they are in some of the windows of some of the places, I know like the grocery store, et cetera, that gives a bit of the history as well. But even going online and Mm -hmm. and finding out a little bit about it before you go, because to me, knowing the story as you're standing looking at a building just really brings it to life. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for the invitation. Pleasure, I hope you enjoyed it. I did, thanks again. Postcards from Huron County is made possible thanks to the Huron Heritage Fund, distributed through the Huron County Museum. The museum is one of my favorite spots in Huron County for their interesting exhibitions and Thursday evening international movie screenings. And also thanks to Community Futures Huron. The folks at Community Futures Huron have been supportive not only of my idea, but many others in the community. The Village Toy Castle in Brucefield, the Bayfield River Roads Brewing in Hops, Ice Culture in Hensel, and the Sloman School on Wheels in Clinton, to name a few. And they are truly good folks. According to the Conference Board of Canada, for every $1 that Community Futures Huron invests, another $4.50 of economic activity is generated locally. Find out more about how they may be able to support your ideas at cfhuron.ca. That's cfhuron.ca. Postcards from Huron County is produced and hosted by Mandy Sinclair with audio production by Clint Mackey at Faux Pop Media in Goderidge.